0: good to be with you again this morning lord willing i'll be here next week we get into these seven seven day weather patterns though it's uh, i remember at least i know it was 1982 because uh, i was snowed in with uh, about 150 high schoolers at uh, at a camp in michigan we got snowed in that weekend and um when i was uh, at our home office and I was in charge of youth retreats and things. But 1982, we got into that, we lived in Fort Wayne at the time and we got into that seven day pattern every weekend. And, and I think that went on for about seven or eight weeks like into April. And so hopefully we don't uh, have one of those coming up here, but uh, glad that you're having, having services this morning. Well, uh, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 12 uh, this morning, and we'll be spending our time in this particular text, Mark 12, uh, beginning at verse 38, um, verses 38 through um, 44, and we'll be paying particular attention to verses, um, let's see here, 41, yeah, 41 to 44, but I'm starting at 38 to set a little bit of the context, and uh, also let me just remind you that this particular uh, narrative this particular event takes place during the week between the triumphal entry and crucifixion so it was that week when jesus threw out uh, those who were doing business in the temple the throughout the money changers and uh, so this was in that what we call the the, the passion week but um Jesus taught beware of these teachers of religious law for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor and the synagogues and the head tables at banquets yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public because of this they will be more severely punished. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, "'I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more "'than all the others who are making contributions.' For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Our Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we gather and as we submit ourselves to uh, uh, the reading and the preaching of your word, uh, may we also submit ourselves to the doing of it. Pray that I can be clear and uh, concise and correct as we uh, just share together in this text this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you've probably heard of surveys ago around asking non-church attenders, why don't you attend church? And uh, the typical answer is, and you're probably thinking of it in your head, but the typical answer that they give is, because churches are always asking for my money. That's the reason that they give for not attending church. Uh Actually, church is about the only place where that accusation is heard, that they're always asking for my money. Uh, Imagine someone saying, I am never going to go back to Chick-fil-A because they're always asking for my money. Or I'm never going to go back to Costco because they always want my money. Or I'm never going back to Walmart because they're always asking for money. Or you fill in the blank. So really, churches are about the only place where that accusation is, I'm not going to go back there because they're always asking for money. Well, we do talk about money even at church. Uh, We talk about the price that we paid for a new car when we get together, perhaps, at church. Uh, We talk about the, the cost of gas, which these days is an encouraging kind of conversation. To have. Uh, when we're at church, sometimes we talk about the price of a gallon of milk or a dozen eggs, or uh, we uh, talk about what we spent on our, meat, our most recent gadget, our device that uh, we bought, but we seldom discuss our money at church as it relates to God. There's a forgotten beatitude in the, the New Testament, and by the way, the, there are beatitudes other than in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, uh, there, the beatitude form is blessed is so one, someone who does or is someone for they shall. Um, that's the form that's called a beatitude. There's a forgotten beatitude. Paul said in Acts chapter twenty thirty five, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said this, though it's not recorded in the Scripture other than Paul said Jesus said it, so he did. He said that you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There's an Old Testament beatitude. There are beatitudes in the Old Testament too. Proverbs 22.9 thir- uh, says, blessed are those who are generous. Now, at this point, early in the sermon, I know what some of you are thinking. Maybe not in these certain terms, but I know the kinds of things that you're thinking right now. You probably are saying, oh no, here comes another sermon on the amount. Well, I promise that it's not the sermon on the amount, it's a sermon on attitudes that we're going to talk about today and sometimes the visiting preacher can talk about these things and so before uh, your next uh, shepherd comes I'll talk about these things and if you don't like it I'll be back next week or you can disinvite me next week um, but sometimes it's helpful just to share but uh, again we uh, today we're not going to talk so much about the amount as the attitude that we should have as givers. Uh, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of these teachers of the religious law that we we just read about in verses 38 to 40 uh, who shamelessly mismanaged the widow's fund by taking a cut for themselves and even cheating these widows, it says, out of their personal property, whatever little property they may have had while pretending to be pious. Because then they went out and they did their religious things, verse 40 says. Uh, Jesus pierces them with the arrows of shame by calling attention to a widow, perhaps one of whom they were particularly cheating. She may have been one of the group of widows that these pious religious leaders were cheating. Uh, Unknown to those bringing their offerings, uh, Jesus was there and he... Watched. In fact, the text says that he very simply, uh, very basically, he sat down near the collection boxes in the temple and he watched as the crowds brought their offerings. Proverbs fifteen three says that the Lord is watching everywhere, and I might add, everyone keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. He watches. He, he watches. He, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere present, and so he watches everything, everywhere, everyone, and he sat down here at this particular place at this particular time, just, just days or hours before his crucifixion, and he watched the crowds as they came. And he went to the Court of the Women, uh, which also houses the temple treasury, and uh, in the court of the women and the temple treasury there, there were 13 receptacles um, shaped kind of like uh, the form of a, of, a, of a trumpet or like a funnel that, that went down into a collection box. And so people would come and uh, they would put their money in uh, one of those particular trumpet-like uh, uh, receptacles and they would bring their contributions to the court of the women, which was also the treasury of the temple. Uh, Coinage was the currency of the day, so the more coins uh, you put in, the more noise your offering made. And uh, the rich people, it said, put in large amounts. They put in large amounts. It could be large amounts in terms of value, which I'm sure it was, and it could have been large amounts of coins. You know, as uh, as, uh, at least my granddaughters, They don't care what the amount is of the money that I give them to put in their piggy banks. They care about the amount as far as how many there are. and They love to hear them go into their... I I could give them 100 pennies, and they would be more thrilled than if I gave them, you know, 350-cent pieces. Do we have those anymore today? Uh, (laughs) I don't see many. So whatever it was, they put in large amounts and the text says they gave uh, out of their surplus, so it was probably large amount in value as, as well. Their many coins would have made quite a clatter. Uh, like a, a coin counting machine, perhaps. I don't know about you folks, but I have a jar where I just throw all my extra change and after it gets so full, Joy takes it to, to the bank and they put it in and it's a it's a branch bank near our house so we can hear it going clang, 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 clatter, 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 and it just makes a lot of noise because there are a lot of coins. Well, that's what was going on. They were putting a lot of their coins Uh, into these uh, bronze funnels, and and it was making all sorts of clatter. Jesus was watching, and a poor widow came up. And the text tells us that she dropped in two small coins, or two lepta, um, some of the translations say, and her two coins only made a clank, clank. In fact, with all the clatter going on with all of the other coins, because he said he watched the crowds of people as they brought the offering, uh, her clank, clank may have not have even been heard. Uh, she gave two lepta. One lepton uh, is the smallest was the smallest coin in circulation. So if we think in terms of our, our currency, uh, a penny, uh, is the smallest coin in circulation. She bought brought the two smallest coins, or in, in our case, two pennies, and, and put them in. Uh, a lepta or, or a lepton, one lepton was worth about one sixty-fourth of a common labor's daily wage, or about five minutes worth of daily wages. And in, in that, in those days, that's what the uh, yeah, one of those coins was worth. So she basically in terms of, of uh, comparison to the money of the day, she pretty much put in 10 minutes worth of what uh, the daily labor would get for um, his work. Her two lepta would have not have been missed in the temple offering if she kept them. Uh, the, it was not going to help much uh, at all to, uh, to go for the, the maintenance and, and the service and the ministry of the, the temple. But but she would have missed the participation in the community of God's people. And so she came. Now, if the rich had given as sacrificially, the temple offering that week would have been taken care of in one day. In fact, the temple offering perhaps for the whole year would have taken, been taken care of in, in one day if they had given as sacrificially as she. And Jesus was watching all of this, uh, just sitting in in the background, of course, remember now, he had just thrown out all the money changers who were abusing the, the temple, the, the house of prayer. And, and now, though, he was watching as people were bringing their offerings, and he knew their hearts, and uh, so uh, he was probably grieved uh, with what was going on, even in the giving of the offerings. You see, he wasn't looking so much into the offering plate as he was looking into the heart of the one who was passing the plate. I don't want to get too convicting here, but uh, that's what he was doing. He was paying attention to the hearts of the people, and he was grieved with, I'm sure, most of them, maybe not all of them. So he watched. Uh, little did they know that as he watched, he calculated. Uh, verse verse 43 uh, says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. He calculated their offerings. He calculated her offering, and uh, he had an interesting way of calculating, didn't he? Uh, basically, he was saying more is less and less is more. That's the way he calculated. She had given more than all of those who brought their offerings. His calculations were different than anyone else's in the temple courts that day. He was he was calculating the proportion of their offerings rather than calculating the portion of their offerings. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says people see what is given but Jesus sees what is left I'll repeat that again Jesus sees what is given I mean, I'm sorry people see what is given Jesus sees what is left and he saw what was given by the rich and he saw what they had left and he saw what the poor widow gave and he saw what she had left. Uh, this incident teaches us that, that God doesn't count our offerings. Now, at Grace Church, as I'm sure here, somebody has to count the offerings. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. They, you can't just take the offerings and take it to the bank. They want to know how much is on the deposit ticket. So we do have offering counters. So this is not to say anything about folks who count offerings. But in this situation, it, it teaches us that Jesus, or that Jesus doesn't count our offerings. He weighs them. Um, I don't know who's the treasurer or who the counters are, but you've probably never gone to the bank and say, "Here's here's four pounds of, of money." They <laughs> say, "Well, that, that makes a big difference." Is it four pounds of pennies? Is it four pounds of one hundred dollar bills? Uh, I mean, how much is it? Well, Jesus weighs her offering. He doesn't count it. Um, uh, we we know that she gave two coins, but but for he he, he weighs the the value of those to to see the weight of sacrifice in our offerings. Uh, This widow's offering was a lot if if, uh, weighted instead of counted. Winston Churchill said, uh, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Now, what, what prompted this kind of extravagance? Not from the rich. But from this poor widow, what prompted that kind of extravagance as she gave all that she had? Now, unlike the wealthy with their noisy offerings, she certainly was not motivated by the pride of giving. Uh, they were probably coming and stepping up to those uh, those bronze uh, funnels or tr- trumpet bell-like uh, cont- or receptacles, and they probably were really working it for all it was worth. They probably didn't even put it in all at once. They probably let it, you know, little handsfuls at a time. And Because remember, um, some of them may have been some of the religious leaders, and, and we read here uh, that they shamefully cheated widows out of their property and then pretended to be pious. They loved to do their works before men. And so they loved to give their offerings when people were present and when the crowds were there. And so uh, they, they took pride in that. Well, certainly this widow and her extravagance, she was not motivated by pride. In fact, she, she may have just kind of tried to unobtrusively come in and, and give her offering and, and and leave. She wasn't standing there saying, everybody look at me. Um, they would have probably judged her, perhaps made fun of her because of her two little coins. And so that's not what motivated her. The rich gave out of their abundance of wealth, but the widow gave out of her heart of love. But, Prompted that extravagance L-O-V-E. Only love could make that kind of sacrifice possible and acceptable to God. David McKenna has said that giving is the pipeline through which love flows. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but, but often times uh, uh, you know, when, when we are generous, it, it comes because of love, not love of self. But, but love of others. Giving is the pipeline through which love flows. Uh, the, the size of the gift counts for less than the size of the heart. And, and this, this widow had one huge heart. And the others who were giving a lot of their money had very small hearts. God wants the giver's heart as well as he wants the giver's gift. See, in a couple of days after this event, Jesus was on his way to give his all on the offering box of the cross, which was also prompted by love. Only that kind of love could make this sacrifice possible, of his death on the cross, his sacrifice on the cross, and only love could make that kind of sacrifice possible and acceptable to God. And it was love that made this widow's offering acceptable to God. So-called little gifts, which are... Small uh, in in terms of uh, human evaluation may eclipse those gifts that have value into the millions of dollars. In God's sight, probably not in man's sight. So even the poorest among us these days can make a worthy offering to God that is acceptable to him. So he watched, and he calculated in a much different way than anyone else would have And and then he called his disciples over to him, and he commended this widow. Verse 44, said her gift is far more valuable than any that are being given here today. Everyone else put in something from what they had to spare, but she in her need had nothing to spare. She put in all she had, everything she had to live on that day. Uh, the rich didn't give up anything to make their donations, really. Uh, they didn't have to buy less expensive clothes. Uh, they weren't going to have to eat out less, or they weren't going to have to drive their donkey another year before getting a new one. Uh, they had plenty left over for all of those things. It said he, They gave out of their abundance, out of their surplus. They had plenty to spare, but it was different with this widow. Her two lepta made very little difference in the daily collection, but it made a huge difference in her daily living. She gave up her daily bite of bread, her daily sip of milk, her daily morsel of honeycomb. It was all she had to live on until she could earn a little more to meet her frugal needs, perhaps the next day. She was counting on God for her daily bread. That sound familiar? Give us this day our daily bread. She lived day by day, day to day, and she depended on God day to day. The lesson of the manna in the Old Testament is exactly that. Trust God to provide enough for each day. And that's what she did. When it said that she gave all she had, uh, she perhaps was going to be able to make a couple of more lepta um, and uh, maybe be able to buy some some food for the next day. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, that, that takes on a new meaning for her that it doesn't for us, um, for me, who stock our shelves with so much food that we sometimes have to throw it away because of spoilage. <laughs> um these last two weekends, with the with the weather forecasts and the, and the and the snow, and if you went to the grocery store, you saw how many people were going to the grocery store, and uh, maybe it was for some spoilage kind of things, milk and things. But I told Joy, I said, we have enough food in this house. We can survive for more than a month if we get really creative about it. <laughs> we have so much. We actually throw it away, but her offering did not make a lot of noise nor a lot of difference, at least not as much as an offering, uh, the offerings of the rich. What made her offering distinctive was its lack of noise and its lack of difference that it was going to make. But from the two clanks in the treasury trumpet comes this response from Jesus, she has given more than all the others. But this was not passed from Jesus on to the widow. The the widow doesn't even know that he's watching. She doesn't know that he's calculating and she doesn't know that he's commending. So it wasn't passed on to her. This was something he said to the disciples. Uh, She didn't know any of this as she left the temple courtyard that day. Uh, She didn't know that Jesus had watched her, had focused on her and uh, what he had said about her because he refused to mar her pure devotion and love and sacrifice of her gift with any sorts of words of praise to her but but the fragrance of her deed of devotion that she did like the fragrance of Mary's perfume ha- has lingered in the church down through the centuries people mentioned the widow's might you know the story she's nameless even We don't know her name. She she appears once, briefly, for a few verses. And what she has done and what Jesus said about her has lingered for all of these centuries. When she reached her father's house in heaven, she received her rich reward. I'm convinced of it. No one was going to name a building after her, Um, but Jesus and his Father look at the giver's heart, remember? And though the world may not take note, the record of all the faithful and loving giving and service is is kept in heaven. You may not think that anybody's taking note of what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're giving, and that's just fine. (laughs) That's just wonderful. But Jesus and his Father are taking note for a rich reward in heaven the rich were still rich after they deposited their sizable offerings, but how rich this poor widow's reward must have been in heaven. Can't imagine it. And uh, she, of all people, would have received a well-done good and faithful servant. So the next time you think you can't afford to give, remember this nameless widow. Because of her love for God, she decided she couldn't afford not to give. Now, we're not saying here that we all have to go um, back to our homes today, and tomorrow go to our bank accounts, and and uh, you know collect all of our stuff and sell it. And next Sunday bring everything that we have. <laughs> you, you see, in, in this in this widow's culture, um, people pretty much did live day to day, and, and so she she was not going to probably die of starvation the next day. She was going to be able to earn a little bit more money. But she was an example of how we should depend upon God day by day. Maybe more than we do instead of stop trying to stockpile our future um, in in any number of ways to the to the extent that that it keeps us from the joy of of giving. There are three giving attitudes um, I think uh, pretty much takes sums it all up whether it's giving of our time, whether it 's giving of our of our talents our abilities, whether it's giving of our resources our money our or commodities, whatever. There are three giving attitudes. The first one, and it's the lowest one, is grudgingly. Okay, I'll give because I have to. The second one is dutifully. Okay, I'll give because I need to. And the third one, the highest, is joyfully. I'm going to give because I want to. That was the widow. I want to. There were probably plenty of those people in the temple courts that day that were on the grudging part. I'm going to give because I have to. The law says I have to. Or some, well, I, I need to. I need to be seen. I, I need to have my reputation um, elevated a little bit in the community, so I need to. But this widow said, I'm going to give because I want to. I know which attitude fits her, uh, which attitude best fits you. Um, in your approach to your stewardship. I remember Pastor Milo Nussbaum, founding pastor and longtime pastor of Grace Church, where where, uh, we sat under his ministry for many years and uh, where I had the privilege of uh, uh, following him when he retired. I I remember him making uh, five comparisons between a tithe and generosity. He said that the tithe is determined by what you have received. In other words, I've received X number of dollars, and the tithe is 10%. So if I received, when I was a kid, when I received a dollar for my, for my uh, allowance, I was taught 10 cents, went into the church bank. Uh, if I received $100 or something, $10 went to the offering. A tithe is based upon what is received. Generosity is determined by what you keep. Okay? Tithe is determined by what you receive. Generosity is determined by what you keep. The second comparison, the tithe is motivated by duty. That's the dutiful giving. Generosity is motivated by love. Third, the tithe is measured by a formula, 10%. By the way, the Old Testament tithe and then all the other offerings added on, they were at about 30% minimum when it was all said and done because of some of the annual tithes and the semi-annual tithes and so forth. But the tithe is measured by a formula. Generosity is measured by sacrifice. So some of the rich perhaps were giving a lot of money based upon the tithe, based upon the formula. 10%, but they had a lot left over. Uh, The widow's uh, generosity was measured by sacrifice. Fourth, the tithe is a matter of the head, and generosity is a matter of the heart. And fifth, the tithe asks, how much of what I get can I keep? Generosity asks, how little should I keep? It's tempting to adjust our giving to our living, instead of adjusting our living to our giving those folks there in the temple courts uh, that those the, that day when Jesus and the disciples were there probably were adjusting their giving to their living i need to keep so much to uh, keep my lifestyle up the widow was adjusting her living to her giving i don't need this today i've had all that i need and i don't need this for today I wonder if God will say to me one day, Doug, you gave too little. Or instead, might he ask or say, Doug, you kept too much. Will he ask me if I gave too little, or will he ask me the penetrating question, have I kept too much? You see, the better question to ask then what percent should I give is how can I manage my lifestyle so that I can keep less and be generous with more. That, my friends, is a matter of the heart. Lord, thank you for the simple lesson of what we might say would be a simple lesson from this simple woman and yet as we put it in the perspective in the context of how jesus saw what she did and saw why she did it um, she wasn't a simple woman she was a fully devoted follower of the lord and it's difficult sometimes lord to discuss our money because in perspective of this widow we have so much and uh I know personally, at least, I, I want to hold on to as much as I can, and yet, Lord, uh, you give us the joy of giving, and uh, you you help us uh, to understand things uh, as we read these kinds of things in the Bible. Many times, I've had buyer's remorse for the things that i purchased, and yet I really can't think of times when i've had giver's remorse when i've been generous and so lord just help me personally to experience the joy of generosity more and more and i pray that for our brothers and sisters here today Um, may you just help us to discern your will um, for the things that you've entrusted us to steward in the name of christ we pray amen